Hi, I'm Robin Black, and this is Robin Thinks Deconstructing Books That Wrecked Us. As children, we are taught to listen to adults and other authorities. But adults teach us very different things, and we end up trying to operate on very different messages. The older we get, the more those conflicting messages begin piling up until we no longer know what is right or true. Deconstruction is the picking apart of these various messages to understand which ones work for us and which ones don't. In this podcast, I will deconstruct some of the most popular books in Christianity to determine which ones have harmful messages and what those messages are, so you can decide for yourself which ones are worth keeping and which can be thrown away. Okay, so today I want to talk about power, control, and colonization, okay? If you're unfamiliar with the concept or the, uh, of colonization, it's something that's being talked about a lot right now, uh, largely in terms of racism and white supremacy, okay? And the idea of colonization largely gets sort of laid at the feet of white people because white Europeans have a very long history of colonizing, which is when you go into someone else's space and go, I think I like it here. I think this is mine now. Uh, It's kind of like, you know, imagine if you walked into someone else's house and you brought, you know, say armed guards with you or a small army with you and just decided that You want their home, and so it's yours now, and you can take it because you have more power. That is colonization. That being said, like many concepts, there is sort of like, you can think of it like an oak tree, right? An oak tree has a lot of branches. It has a trunk. It has branches. It has uh, fibers. It has cells, right? It has roots. It has, it comes from a seed. So on the one hand, it's very complicated. Uh, it's a whole sort of, uh, intertwining system, so to speak. And yet it all comes from a single seed, like a very simple seed. Like if you let an oak tree grow for 200 years, it's going to be an extremely complex system. And yet it all started with a single seed. And so this is what we want to talk about, is we want to talk about, like, what does colonization look like? What does power and control and colonization, what do these things look like, sort of on an institutional level or on a national level? Where did they come from? And then we want to talk about, what is the tiniest seed of colonization? Because, Because what happens is a lot of times we look at these big, complex structures and systems and we know that there's something wrong we know that they're toxic right but until we actually get down to what is the what is the tiniest root of all of these very complex structures how did they come into being what happens is when you get down to the smallest root or the smallest seed it becomes uncomfortably clear that it's something that we all participate in. Or at least we do or we can't if we're not careful. If we don't understand what the seed is of all of these complex structures, then we don't understand how 
we individually participate in creating them. And we can't fix them or change them or solve them or do things differently until everyone understands how do you personally participate in the creation of this, you know, big giant uh, 200-year-old oak tree, okay? So colonization, and, and colonization has a very strong link to Christianity, okay? It all goes back to the Roman Catholic Church, okay? Rome, as people may be aware, was a massive colonizer, right? The Roman Empire. The Romans would go in and they would take over all of these small countries. And at the time of, of that Jesus lived, uh, Jerusalem was under Roman occupation, right? Um, and so what happened is, you know, Jesus died and was resurrected and then uh, all of his followers uh, began to, they called themselves the people of the way. And I think this is something that really gets um, lost a lot in Christianity is that they didn't call themselves followers of Jesus. They called themselves people of the way. And I believe that is because Jesus didn't come to, um, it wasn't about him. The real reason that Jesus came to earth was to teach us a better way to live. And the reason I say that is because, um, there, you know, Christians put a lot of emphasis on Jesus being the Messiah. And this is a big, you know, conflict between Judaism and Christianity is that, um, uh, I believe the predominant belief in Judaism is that Jesus was not the Messiah. And the predominant belief in, in Christianity is that Jesus was the Messiah. Okay. So there's this big conflict over who was Jesus. And that was happening the whole time that Jesus was alive because people kept out his own disciples kept asking him, are you, are you the Messiah? Who are you? Are you the Messiah? Who are you? And what you'll find again and again is Jesus kept answering a question with the question. You turn it back on them and say, who do you think that I am? Who do you say that I am? Christians will insist that Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah. And yet the fact that his own disciples kept asking him who he, who, who he is would lend credibility to the fact that he didn't actually ever specifically tell anyone that he was the Messiah. He didn't actually say those things. Um, but Christians will insist that, um, I, I think it was uh, when the, the woman, the Samaritan woman, uh, many Christians will insist that that was when Jesus revealed himself as Messiah. And you can read it that way. That's the thing about the Bible. You can read certain things certain way if that's what you're determined to believe. Um, but there's other people that will read it a very different way. Okay. So one, the one thing that we can take from that is the Bible is subject to interpretation. Everybody interprets it a different way. But a lot of times what happens is people take these individual moments or these stories out of context. And it's a, it's one book for a, for a reason. And that is, it's a, it's a record that extends back thousands of years. And so if it's true that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, uh, you can't look at the Old Testament and say, oh, there's this Old Testament God, but then all of a sudden uh, Jesus comes along and there's this massive personality change, okay? Um, God has been the same the whole time. So 
in my personal opinion, and remember, this is the only thing that anyone can ever offer you is their personal opinion. In my personal opinion, it doesn't matter if Jesus was the Messiah or not. I don't believe that's actually the point that Jesus was trying to make and, and whether he came. Because, uh, you know, the, the point of the Messiah, you know, the Messiah has to be uh, pay the you know, be, be the atonement, pay the atonement, uh, pay the price for the sins of the world. Well, I mean, and everyone has a different definition of what the Messiah is supposed to do. Okay. According to Christians, Jesus came to pay the atonement for the sins of the world. Okay. Um, and it was important that Jesus had to die to pay the atonement for the sins of the world. Okay. There's lots of ways that people can die. So if the only thing that was important was Jesus just needed to come to earth to die. Uh, there's, there's a lot of like really painless ways to die and he could have died a lot earlier. Like if that was literally the only point is he just needed to come and die and then everything was good. Um, but instead he came and, and literally died one of the absolutely most painful deaths imaginable. And so that's where you have to question why was that important? Um, there's a lot of people that, and, and, you know, this is another thing that Christianity seems to teach is that Jesus needed to die to save us from the wrath of his father. So Jesus needed, so what that really means is that Jesus had to die to save him from himself because Christianity teaches that Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are one. They're the Trinity. So Jesus is God. So that would mean that Jesus came to die to save us from himself, um, but that doesn't work for Christianity because basically what Christianity has done is taken Jesus and used Jesus to give themselves power. So Christianity created this very angry, wrathful Old Testament God that we all have to be saved from. And that's what Jesus does. And then they've made themselves the um, owners of Jesus, basically. So in essence, what they've done is they've given themselves the power to say, we decide who goes to heaven and who doesn't because we control Jesus. So if Jesus came to pay the atonement. If Jesus came to save us from the wrath of the angry Old Testament God, then whoever controls Jesus controls heaven. And whoever controls heaven controls people, right? Because we all want to go to heaven when we die. So what Christians say is, well, we control Jesus. So if you want to go to heaven, you have to do what we say and you have to make us happy or else we'll make sure that you don't get to go to heaven because Jesus belongs to us. Obviously, that's not something that they actually say out loud, but if you really um, sort of dig down deep into Christian doctrine, and if you really sort of pay attention enough to all of their bickering and fighting on Twitter, um, that's really what it kind of boils down to, is that uh, the, the person of Jesus is central to Christianity, mostly because it gives Christians power. And that's the thing that we have to pay attention to is so much of Christianity and religion in general comes down to power. Um, this is where it's also very important to understand that the Roman Catholic Church, again, it goes back to Rome. And what, what is Rome famous for? Rome is one of the largest colonizers in history, right? The Roman Empire 
was one of the largest empires in history. They were colonizers. And they started the Roman Catholic Church, not necessarily because they were followers of Jesus, but because they began to recognize just how much power this new budding church was gaining. And I could go into, there's a very long story, you know, how that happened. And I'm not going to go into that today because of time. The only thing that's important to understand is that um, the Roman Catholic Church was founded to consolidate power. It was not a an altruistic mission, basically. It was all about power. And then what's important to understand about that is that every Protestant denomination in the United States, or probably in the world, every single Protestant denomination is within six degrees of separation of the Roman Catholic Church, right? You have Martin Luther started Lutheranism. You have John Calvin, who I think he started the Baptists or the Presbyterians. Um, I, I've never, he's it founded Calvinism, but Calvinism isn't a religion in and of itself. So I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure exactly like what John Calvin founded. I think the Baptists came out of Calvinism. I'm not sure. There's so many um, twists and turns, but it's all, the bottom line is it all comes out of Catholicism. And so What's also important to understand about that is that colonization is deeply, deeply, deeply entwined in the roots of um, Catholicism because of Roman Catholics. And then all of these Protestant denominations that have sprung out of Catholicism pretty much take their colonizing roots with them. And so this, this, thought or this principle of colonization once again it's so important to understand it is deeply deeply buried in white protestantism and the reason that i make a differentiation between white protestantism and black protestantism is there's so many ways in which they're almost like two completely different religions and the reason for that is that or the reason i say that at least is you have to remember, and I think I've said this before, um, the exact same Bible that white people were using to justify slavery is the exact same Bible that was giving those slaves hope for justice, for redemption and for justice, okay? (laughs) So the problem is not the book. The problem is who is interpreting that book. The hands that that book resides in. That makes all the difference. And according to the Bible itself, what makes a difference is the heart of the person that's actually interpreting the book. Okay? So this is why it's really important to understand that white Protestantism and black Protestantism are two completely different things. Because colonization is buried deep in white Protestantism, but um, black people were the colonized. They were not the colonizers. They were the colonized. And so their interpretation of Bible and of scripture and what it means to them is completely different 
uh, than what it means to white people. White people use it as a means of giving themselves power. Black people cling to it in hopes that there is a greater power watching over them than white people, right? Those are, they, they look at it, they cling to it for two very, very, very different reasons. And this is what is so important to understand. And part of the reason that I bring this up is because I want to show how, and I want to talk about how um, Mark Batterson, like what he did and what he's talking about in this book is really perpetuating these ideas of colonization. So if you'll remember, uh, a couple of the things that he said is, you know, first of all, he said, um, the reason you want to do all these really great things, right? These big things is because the bigger the thing that you do, the more glory it gives to God. At least that's what he's trying to tell himself, right? And yet, as I pointed out, whose name is on the book? It's not God's name on the book. It's Mark Batterson's name on the book. So who's like on all the letterhead and the stationery and the website? Uh, who Whose name is all over everything? It's not God's name that's all over everything. It's Mark Batterson's name that's all over everything. Okay. Um, and another thing that I talked about is how, you know, Mark Batterson wants to claim that because he like built all these churches and did all these like big, huge things and you know, uh, because these men build these mega churches and they have 10,000 people, you know, downloading their sermons every week. They want to, you know, they want to claim that they've done all these really great things for God and that it's all about God and it's not about them. But, you know, Jeff Bezos built Amazon and Steve Jobs built Apple. And so when you build your a mega church, how is that really any different than these other men that build mega businesses? Like I don't, when you build your big mega church, I don't necessarily think that has anything more to do with God than Steve Jobs building Apple. And part of, but the, but the problem is, um, you know, Steve Jobs isn't out sort of verbally saying, oh, uh, Apple is the first $2 trillion company because, um, I wanted to glorify God or it was about God or because God blessed me. Okay. But here's the problem. When these mega churches, when these mega church pastors say, oh, my church is so big or my church is so wealthy or so abundant because God blessed it. What they're saying is that wealth in and of itself is a sign of God's blessing. And the problem with this, the huge problem with this is that when you are teaching, you know, we call it prosperity gospel, right? And when you're teaching prosperity gospel, when you are teaching that prosperity or success or wealth, that these are all indications that God is blessing what you are doing, then you don't have to look at how are you actually building your wealth who are you exploiting to build your wealth because it is an absolute certainty that there are no wealthy people in America that have not exploited someone else to become wealthy that is exactly what capitalism is capitalism means I capitalized on a situation in order to gain more for myself than I gave to someone else, right? This is capitalism. This is what we do. How do I 
buy a product for 50 cents, how do I get people to pay $10 for a product that I only paid 50 cents for, right? That's capitalism. We worship that. That is also called exploitation. You are exploiting someone else for your own gain. So how can pastors participate in exploitation and then turn around and have any kind of moral platform to call out America's business leaders for the same practice? The answer is they can't. Okay? You cannot exploit people and then turn around and point fingers at other people exploiting people. So the problem is that our big wealthy megachurches and our big wealthy pastors and our big wealthy uh, spiritual and moral leaders have completely lost all moral authority to call out the exploitative practices that we call big business. Okay, so let's talk about what Mark Batterson did and how he engaged in colonization, right? He did his little prayer walk at four and a half miles around the city. And that city is Washington, D.C. And Washington, D.C. is predominantly black. And Mark Batterson is white. So what does that mean? It means that there are thousands and probably in that, you know, he covered, he did a square that was four and a half miles around. Okay, so give or take, we're, we're going to say roughly um, two miles north and south and two miles east and west, okay? There's thousands, there could easily be five, six, seven thousand people that live just in that square alone. And then when you consider, he can probably pull people in from, you know, a couple miles farther than that, you could easily be talking about 10,000 people. Um, so what he did is he decided that let's just say 10,000, let's say there's 10,000 people in, you know, that, that four and a half, um, mile square. And then, you know, within a couple miles around that square, let's just say there's 10,000 people. Okay. Those 10,000 people, that's a pretty big area. And those 10,000 people are going to have very, very, very different needs. But what Mark Batterson is saying is that I, me, Mark Batterson, by myself, I am most qualified to design all of the structures and systems that are supposed to meet the needs of 10,000 people. Okay, just for for reference, recently there's another church that's opened up um, very close to, like within a mile of where Mark Batterson did this, um, his walk, okay? And this church that's opening up, um, I think it's called Riverside Baptist of D.C. And they are multicultural, multi-ethnic, and affirming which I can promise you is very different from the church that Mark Batterson started. I'm, I can almost guarantee you, and, and that's not to say that all the people that attended his church were white, but Mark Batterson is white. And remember, he did his prayer walk all by 
himself. He didn't even take his wife. He didn't gather together the seeds of this new budding congregation he was trying to start and walk together with them as a community. He did it all by himself. And this is all because he read a story where God told Joshua that that God would give Joshua all the land that um, he could see. And so Mark Batterson decided, ah, this is what God is telling me I need to do. I need to go out and I need to walk this perimeter and and all of the land that I walk around, God is going to give that to me, okay? That is literally colonization. All of the Europeans that came to America all decided God gave us this land. They didn't pay attention to the people that they were literally taking the land away from. They didn't pay any attention to the people that were already here. They just came in and they saw something beautiful and they had like superior firepower, right? They had more guns. So they came in and they said, we've decided that we want this land and we've decided that God has given us this land. And that is literally what Mark Batterson did. He walked in a four mile square around Washington, D.C. and decided that meant that God was going to give him that land. And over the, the course of the next several years, I don't know how many, he apparently opened up seven different churches. Here's a here's a thought. Here's a crazy thought. Seven different churches. Is there any possibility that the people in those neighborhoods where he was opening up seven different churches under his leadership and his authority and his vision and viewpoint of, of what is right and wrong and good and bad, is there any possibility that the people in those neighborhoods might have had very, 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 very different needs than what he, a white man, was capable of meeting? And that's not to say that there weren't people of other cultures and ethnicities that were um, participating in building these seven churches. That, that might be possible. But then the question becomes, why do you, why does one man have to be in charge of seven different churches? What is that about? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Is that really about God or is that really about your need for control and power? Is that really about God or is that about you? Is that about you putting your name on everything? Is that about you marking your territory and your turf and claiming it for yourself? Was that really about God or was that about Mark Batterson, because I would personally say, based on the history of white men in America, I would say that's more about Mark Batterson than that is about God. I have my doubts about whether God actually intended for white European men to own America, like they seem to think was the case. That's what they seem to believe. Um, 
But I want to talk about the roots of colonization. Like, where does it come from? What is the smallest seed of colonization? Where does it start? Like, how do you know that you are headed down the path of colonization? Um, What I personally believe is that colonization starts with colonization of thought. And what that means is whatever I think, whatever I feel, whatever I believe is right. Okay. It's I am right. This is the the essence or the root of self-righteousness. And by the way, the Bible has a lot to say about self-righteousness and it's not usually good. It's not something that's encouraged in the Bible. Um, but self-righteousness, the seed of self-righteousness is the belief I am right. My beliefs, whatever I think, feel, believe, I am right. Okay. So then what we do is we go out and we find someone else that agrees with us. Okay. So now there's two of us. We think, feel, agree, believe these things. And then we go out and we find some more people. Now what will happen is, and this is where the colonization starts coming in. Okay. We start building a bigger and bigger group. And the bigger our group gets the more power we have, right? Might makes right. The more of us there are and the fewer of you there are, the more we get to make all the decisions. The more we get to proclaim that we are right because there's five of us and one of you or there's 30 of us and two of you or there's five million of us and only 500,000 of you. So we get to be right because there's more of us. That is the nature, the, the essence, the deepest root of colonization it is might makes right. So what starts to happen is I might find somebody that, that almost across the board agrees with me on almost everything. And then we go and we find some people and they agree with us like about 85%. But they're willing to not really talk about that 15% because we're going to get us a group together. And and if we don't talk about the 15%, we'll have more power that way because then we can present a united front, okay? And then we start gathering more and more and more people. And pretty soon, we're gathering people that they may only agree with us about 60%, but... Together, we have a lot of power. So they just don't really talk about that 40%. Okay. And this goes on and on and on. And I gain, I get, I gather more and more and more people that agree with me. And what happens is they probably agree less and less and less, but they just don't talk about what they don't agree on. So what ends up happening is, We all start focusing more and more and more on what we agree on, right? But what we agree on starts becoming smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And this is where you get the creeds, right? If um, some people might be familiar with the Apostles' Creed, okay? So what the Apostles' Creed did, and this is how you um, this is how you solidify your power, right? You 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 get everything down to this very 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 the smallest kernel possible, right? They say, we're all going to gather this great big giant group. And what holds this group together is we've all agreed to agree on these very, 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 very fundamental principles. These fundamental tendons. Like we believe in God the Father, um, creator of heaven and earth, right? I can't, I I don't, can't recite this uh, Apostles' Creed. But 
the Apostles' Creed is just one of many creeds, but this is what, ha- uh, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance, right? We have all these creeds that we say that we're like, we all agree to these things. And that's what gives us, that's what gives some people, the people that, that the people that control the organization, like all the people agree, we say this creed, we say this, this pledge of allegiance, right? So if we all pledge to, uh, if we all pledge our allegiance to America, then it means that the leaders of America have control and authority over all of us, right? So there's a few people that speak for 330 million people. That gives those few people a lot of power and a lot of control. And this is what you need to understand is that this is where this uniting around these pledges or these creeds, this is what it does is it gives the people that control the group a lot of power because they're no longer speaking for themselves. They're speaking for 8,000 people or 20,000 people or 50,000 people. However many people, um, you know, however many people come on Sunday and like worship in this building, then that becomes how many people the pastor speaks for. He can say, look, I have a lot of authority because look how many people agree with me. This is why we have to have these great big auditoriums. And then, you know, we, the, the pastors go on TV and you have all these shots of how many people are sitting in those seats, right? What they're communicating non-verbally is this is how many people agree with what I have to say. This is why I have authority. This is why you have to listen to me is because all of these people are, look how many people are listening to me. All of these people are listening to me. That means that I have a lot of authority and that's why you should be listening to me too, okay? All of this is the root or the essence of colonization. And this is why colonization is alive and well in white evangelical churches. It's also alive and well in the Catholic church, right? You look at the Pope, um, you look at all like the splendor and the majesty, and you look at the, the power that the Vatican has. Okay. Um, same thing, uh, the, the prophet, the Mormon prophet, you look at the, the temple, the LDS temple, and you look at all the temples across, uh, the United States, all of these things, what they do is they give these like very few men power. It's these men saying, I speak for these millions of people or these hundreds of thousand people or these 10,000 people. It's the gathering together of this many people gives one or two men power. That's the point of colonization. These pastors have colonized 5,000, 8,000, 10,000 people in a certain city, and that is what gives them power. But the, but the thing that we need to be aware of, the thing that you need to be aware of, and I need to be aware of, we need to be aware of what the deepest root of colonization is. The deepest root of colonization is I am right. Okay? This is what, like, the Crusades were all about. Right? It's we are right. And this is, you know, what Christianity is. This is how, like, e- evangelical 
culture came into being, right? It's, it's evangelism. It is, we have decided that we are right. We have decided that our truth is the truth. And therefore it is our responsibility to make sure that everyone in the world agrees that our truth is the right truth. That's evangelism evangelism a a very strong argument could be made that evangelism is literally just another word for colonization it's the colonization of thought or the colonization of belief it is the decision it is the determination that our beliefs are right true and correct and therefore it is our job to go out in the world and make sure that as many people as possible agree with us with our interpretation, right? So you have like, you know, you have Mormons sending out Mormon missionaries and what are they teaching? They are teaching the truths that Mormonism holds. And then you have, you know, Baptist missionaries going out and what are they teaching? They're teaching the truths of uh, Baptists, right? The Baptist truths. And I think, again, I think that's where Calvin comes in. So Calvinistic, they're teaching Calvinistic, like, Calvinism is superior to Mormonism. Mormonism is superior to Catholicism. So everybody's out trying to convince everyone that their truth is truer than anyone else's truth. That's literally all it is. It's all just colonization. So on, on the one hand, there's not really a whole lot that we can do about these great big giant church organizations that are going out and colonizing everyone. But what we can do is we can decolonize ourselves. And this is part of what deconstruction is. And the irony of this is why they are so terrified of deconstruction because deconstruction is decolonization. It is saying, you know, I'm not so sure I still agree with you. I'm not so sure that you have the ultimate life lock on truth. Um, and, and, and that is, that is their greatest fear. That is the thing that they fear the most is because, because somewhere buried deep in all of this is this idea of might makes right. The more people we get to agree with us, the more ability we have to believe that we are right, right? Um, If only 100,000 people agree with you, but 5 million people agree with me, then I'm right because more people agree with me. That's what it is. It's a numbers game and it is toxic. It is absolutely toxic. And this is literally why deconstruction is so important because what you're actually doing is decolonizing. But the other thing you have to be careful of is in too many cases, people are good with decolonizing from a certain church or deconstructing from a certain church. They go, well, that church was toxic and I don't really agree with that church anymore, but I really like this church. That that church didn't accept me, but this church accepts me. And so this is a good church and that's a bad church, okay? You're not really 
changing the dynamics. You're not really decolonizing. You're not, and for, in a lot of ways, you're not even really deconstructing. Um, the, the really important thing is that one of the most toxic behaviors that I've found that's come out of the white evangelical church, which is, which is literally the, the most, um, prevalent byproduct of colonization is there, there's pretty much two things that white evangelicals cannot tolerate. They cannot tolerate disunity or a, a disagreement. They can't tolerate disagreement and they cannot tolerate the notion or the idea um, that they are not right. They have to be right and you have to agree that they are right. If you, uh, if you want to watch their head explode, just say, I disagree. And they will, they will begin to fight and fight and fight and fight to force you to agree with them. You have to agree with them. It, they can't understand that in their mind, there's no difference between the phrases, I disagree and you are wrong. In their world, in their mind, there is one right answer, period. And it is theirs and it has to be theirs. And you have to agree that their answer is the right answer. I can't even begin to tell you sort of like the, the psychic turbulence it will cause someone who is deeply um, ingrained in white evangelical culture to just simply say, I disagree. They will absolutely go insane. And this is how you can tell how deeply someone is ingrained in white evangelical culture. Because that is colonization. They have been colonized and they have to colonize you. This is what's also really important in understanding is you have a lot of people that are leaving white evangelical churches right now, which on the one hand is good-ish, but the problem is they're taking all of their colonial behaviors into other churches. And so a lot of your uh, smaller like mainline denomination churches, you're Presbyterians or your um, Methodists or your Anglicans, a lot of them have sort of escaped this colonization mindset. I think there are reasons for this, but it is it is just so strong in the white evangelical church. And and this is the other thing to remember is that evangelicalism is not a denomination; it is a mindset. And it crosses all denominational lines. So what's happened is, for the first time in probably 100 or so years, you have kind of like this movement that involves Catholics and Mormons and Baptists and some Lutherans or Methodists or Presbyterians. Um, I think it has probably had some impact on at least a few black churches, um, 
And so this is the thing to keep in mind, or this is the thing to be aware of, is that the, the name evangelical, it covers so much ground, but it doesn't apply to everyone, but it doesn't necessarily apply to certain denominations or not other denominations. I think probably more than anything, the one characteristic or trait that identifies evangelicals is this need to colonize this idea of I need to gather around myself as much power as possible this is you know this is where like the multi-church the multi-site campuses that's what it is it's colonization you know, what used to happen is you would have people that specialized in church planting. And so they would go and they would, they would plant a church and they would get it up and running and then they would hand it off to somebody and then they would go plant a new church. And so they might plant six, seven, eight churches, but each one of those churches is really going to be, they're going to be very different and they're going to be geared specifically towards meeting the needs of that individual community. But then I think it was, I think it was Andy Stanley that started this then you get one guy that goes, oh no, I have the best outlook to lead six, seven, eight different churches. So what you're doing is you're forming all of these churches around one person's viewpoint. That is colonization. Okay? It is deeply, deeply, deeply embedded and ingrained in white evangelical culture. And that doesn't mean that its tentacles haven't spread into other cultures, into other denominations. Um, it just simply means that's where it started. That's what it looks like. And that's what its deepest roots are. It is the idea or the belief that I am right and you have to agree with me or you are wrong. It does not allow for just simple differences of opinion. I think A, you think B, we don't know who's right, carry on. There, there's no room for that. You can't have that. You literally cannot have that. Everyone has to agree on everything. Um, so that is power, control, and colonization. And I hope that that kind of like clears some things up or uh, gives you some food for thought or things to think about. Um, I, I just, I challenge you and encourage you uh, to just try this experiment. Uh, you know, a couple times in, in the near future when you're having some some conversations with people, just simply say, I disagree and let it go. You don't have to press your point. Just say, I disagree. Some people will kind of go, they'll kind of chuckle and they'll go, okay. They'll be like, well, that was weird. And they'll carry on. Okay. That's great. They, they do not have a need to colonize. Okay. But I think you find, and it, it all depends on your circle. You may not have uh, people that have this like colonization mindset in your circle. And if you don't, congratulations like for real but if you have people 
like in your circle or if you know people uh, and and the truth is it might be you uh, you might not be aware of your own need for colonization um but just say to someone i disagree and then watch them like the harder they try and fight to make you agree with it like they cannot they ca- they literally cannot tolerate someone not agreeing with them and they will bend over backwards and fight and you'll kind of watch their head explode because they ab- they have to have you agree with them period um and you know even without trying that experiment i think probably off the top of your head especially you know being where we are and as prevalent as this is right now probably off the top of your head you can probably think of a couple people that you already know that that's true of without ever even having to say to them i disagree um so anyway i'm gonna go ahead and close there uh i'm still i'm i have it's kind of because of the holidays I'm still working on my um, podcast for Yellowstone. I have the first episode done. I'm pretty much ready to put it out. I'm just kind of working on some, um, you know, like marketing things and promo things and things like that. So that is still coming. That will be available to my Patreon supporters and my uh, Substack subscribers. So I will leave links to those in the show notes if you want to check those out. Um, And uh, I will see you next week.